0: Is so beautiful, you know.
1: Come play. Flip the page. Dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Late list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had yours. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits you, feel no pain. Crane. For the fantasy championship dynasty hit the books, kid, read
2: this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. ( TJ) It's automatic dynasty. It's automatic owner's manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's (laughs) automatic.
0: And here are your authors. Chris Allen and Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast.
1: And I'm Adam Wildy, the other co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast. And I'll get us started with the foreword. We don't have much to add. We're getting into the season. We're getting ready to start the grind. But as a longstanding member of Narrative Street, I'm very excited to sit down with the mayor, so I can't wait for Chris to get us started.
0: Yeah, and I think with uh, the conversation that we're about to have uh, this morning, there's just uh, there's no better way to just uh, to get into it than to just hop in, and we've got uh, Sigmund Bloom with us this morning. Uh, you know who he is. I mean, if you're any part of the fantasy football world, I mean, you've been following his work over at the Audible. Listen to on the couch. I mean, in any of the various ways that you can get a hold of him on Twitter. And uh, Sig, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, thank you for joining us this morning. I know you're a very busy man, especially with uh, the uh, the fantasy season getting underway here within the next. Uh, we got eight days until kickoff, mm-hmm. so it's a uh, mm-hmm. very exciting time. But how are you doing? this morning
2: oh great i mean this is a an invigorating time to be doing what we're doing because 12 months 365 we're obsessing about this <laughs> but you can feel millions it really is millions right like some there was a time in the fantasy industry and they'd say 12 million people are playing fantasy football and it's like really i don't know yeah. about that now i like Yeah, there's a lot of people playing fantasy football. That's it. And it it energizes us, right? Like that everybody cares and everybody's thinking about this. And sometimes we go overboard and we overreact everything or we make mountains out of molehills. But it's invigorating because really – and we'll get into all this – by – By playing fantasy football and getting yourself up to speed on everything that's going on around the league, then when they actually start to play the games, it's so rich. Everything Mm -hmm. that happens intersects with all these great stories about players, about coaches, about franchises, about fan bases. And it just makes everything more meaningful and and deeper when you watch it. And then hopefully the way you get get to a point where – and then at the end of the game, you go and check your fantasy team. And it's not necessarily about your fantasy team, but playing fantasy football pulls you in.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree, and I almost I, I really like the analogy that that you and Cecil use like during the off season where you guys are talking about the uh, the the dynasty like the dynasty aspect of looking at players because a lot of things that we do is immediately as the off season begins as a lot of us go into that, that kind of that, that slumber right we want to take a quick break mm-hmm. but then after that it's almost like that slow rise like back up into things as the i guess as the community starts to get a little bit louder i mean there are the conversations and the debates that we have during the off season during the summertime it gets a, a little bit a little bit louder and then once we get into training camp and then preseason starts then everybody's talking now everybody's you know clamoring for information and now that's when the debates start getting a little bit more i guess a little more vigorous a little bit more uh you know th- there's just a lot more that goes into it And now we're here uh, just a week before kickoff, and now it's just we're kind of waiting for the the next bit of news, right, with all of the – we've got holdout situations. We're waiting for the roster cuts. I mean there's just – there's so much more to come. And then, oh yeah, by the way, we have to actually start setting lineups here within the next mm-hmm. few days. So, I mean, that's just all that kind of goes into fantasy football or this, the, the build up uh, to fantasy football season that we have in store for us here. And it's just, you know, it's only a week away before everything gets started, but we wanted to. I guess bring you on and talk about some of those, the narratives that we've discussed over this past, it feels like, you know, six or seven months now mm-hmm. uh, to kind of, I guess, to, to bring it all home and to, mm-hmm. I guess, from both a redraft and a dynasty perspective, I guess, how do you go about, I guess, distilling some of those narratives into actual, like, actionable fantasy advice right. for folks? And so that's where, I guess, the, the, the thing that you've been hammering for, for years now is that narrative belongs in fantasy See football, and I like I one hundred percent believe that because there's no way, or it's it's hard for me to I guess picture a scenario where you watch uh, an Odell Beckham catch or you watch uh, Alvin Kamara leap over a defender and not have a visceral or like emotional reaction to the things you're seeing on the field. So that that has to I guess invoke something in you in order to say that well this there's more to it than just some of the things that we check out on the stat sheets and that a lot of people analyze for for a living. There's there's a second component to it. So can you get, guess walk us through like why it's important for us to hold some of those narratives as something that we can use like in fantasy football?
2: Yeah, and, and I'm gullible, right? Like I might take the magic beans for the cow and try to take the beanstalk up. And maybe everyone out there might not want the magic beans, mm-hmm. but you can watch me or you can watch this stuff and know when maybe the beans actually were magic. and I mean, the, the idea being this, you don't have to act on these things in your drafts or in your dynasty trades in, in an anticipatory way, but the biggest thing that's going to happen, I, I've been hitting this every show I've been doing this last two weeks, um, is that we our, our, our minds have to be open to this range of possibilities so that when they start to play the games and you see that it's on this track or this track or this track, you can act before other people who say, I need more evidence. Mm -hmm. I need more evidence, right? So if you are already familiar with these possibilities, like, oh, Dalvin Cook is such a great fit in the kubiak Dennison running game and offense, and you see what players – you might uh, think of someone like Clinton Portis, you know, Mm -hmm. and you see, oh, he's going to be what Clinton Portis was in this running game, and you see it in the first game of the season – Uh, against Atlanta. And then again, in the second game against green Bay, you don't have to wait to say, okay, Hey, if I can turn, uh, Alvin Kamara into Dalvin cook and something else that will help my team, then I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. So by familiarizing yourself with what could be explaining what we're seeing, you can act before other people that are more skeptical i mean look this just this is probably one of the biggest advantages of fantasy football in september in in dynasty or redraft is understanding that we have a hit and there's still some uncertainty but after one game or two games Hmm. we know that this is now on this track and what's interesting is and i know you all have both experienced this during this fantasy season right where you were right about a player And then you're wrong about a player and then you're (laughs) right about the player again. Or maybe you're right for the wrong reasons. You know, you're right that they're a hit, but it's for something else that you said, if you had been told, oh, this is going to happen, you'd say, no, that's not going to happen. So different things can happen that we like, you know, it's like Amari Cooper in Dallas. I mean, we just have to watch him week one. Mm -hmm. And if it looks like he's being affected by his heel, then we're willing to overpay for Michael Gallup the next week or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, so just having you, all of these things floating around in your head, so as things start to happen, you understand the significance of it, you know? I think the Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury thing is an excellent example, too, because right. we've just right. never seen a quarterback and a coach have eyes for each other from afar for years. I call it the fantasy football romantic comedy, <laughs> you know? And maybe it will be a comedy. In the right. first few weeks maybe. against Baltimore and Detroit and Carolina, like, those teams might just run the ball 60 times because the defense is so bad. Mm-hmm. So just having your mind open to different possibilities because you understand this. starting situation, guys. This is what separates us from the animals, right? Right. Is our ability yeah. to like see patterns and, and, and predict what's going to happen, right? Instead of every single time a habit being like, well, that just happened again. Yeah. I wonder what's really happening. So yeah, we want to use that for fantasy football too. Now, Sig, you just
1: inadvertently called me out a few times because look, that's me with Damian Williams, one hundred percent. I'm um, very risk adverse. So I'm the type of person that's constantly saying, uh, I need to see more. I need to see more. And I know I'm a broken record with the last four years of his career just being minuscule. And then he's thrusted to greatness. And we really haven't seen that much. But I also like – I started the show with like to consider myself a member of Narrative Street as well because I feel like you have to paint a picture – for um for your projections to work out like anybody that plays dfs out there if you think about it you're you have to paint uh, a narrative for game script in order to be successful and sometimes you're going to play you know your defense with your running back because if your defense is being very stout your running back's going to have a lot of time to run out clock and that's what we have to do in general with dynasty so one thing i wanted to do is just take like a like a quick actionable exercise with a player that's very polarizing right now and Chris listed two great players for this, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Both changed teams. There's many narratives around them. But I kind of want to talk about outside football a little bit with Antonio Brown, too, because whether you think he's crazy or not, which I don't think anybody should call this man crazy, he can be a huge value right now. And I tweeted the other day, what if Derek Carr's normal play is closer to MVP Derek Carr and not as close to broken back Derek Carr? If he's even a little bit better than we think he is, Antonio Brown and Josh Jacobs have to be values. And then add on top of the fact that everybody thinks Antonio Brown is crazy, he's going in the, the late third. So I definitely understand the possibility of him being, eh, I wouldn't say he'd ever be a complete bust unless he didn't play. But there's got to be a huge upside there, right?
2: There it is. Uh, and I might not have been looking at him and the third round, because I'm trying to avoid uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, in that round. But at the same time, there's a compelling case to be made. That's just, hey, if you can take Antonio Brown, Hall of Famer Antonio Brown, mm-hmm. in the third round of your draft, why? This is I, I, I. I'm not taking Todd Gurley in the second, but I understand mm-hmm. folks are saying if I see Todd Gurley and what he represents, risk included, in the mm-hmm. second round, I don't have to spend a first round pick to get him. The guy that was the number one fantasy player until he got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Likewise with Antonio Brown. So there's a lot of considerations here when we talk about narrative street, but this is exactly the kind of thing that we, we can be a step ahead on. Right. So first of all, uh, like you said, Derek Carr's kit is the key to this. And a good thing here is that John Gruden for all that we might ridicule him. We've never, we would never ridicule his offensive coaching or Mm -hmm. his offenses. So his offense should be good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it should be better, a lot better than last year when like who, Guys, was it Marcel Aitman? I mean, who was even right, the number? Right. I mean Jordy right. Nelson with one foot in the grave. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that that so now you have Tyrell Williams, now you have Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. I mean, mm-hmm. these are all players who can add value where you know, I think Hunter Renfro is probably better than Seth Roberts already in term in terms of getting open early in that progression. So then we have to think about the kind of quarterback Derek Carr is. And Derek Carr and Jay Moyer, who does the for uh Matt Waldman, RSP, Mm -hmm. uh, did a really good video showing that, look, Derek Carr is going to go up to the line. He's going to do his pre-snap read. He's going to kind of make his decision. And if that clicks and works, then he's going to get the ball out on time. Outside of structure, he's not as uh, aspirational. He's Mm -hmm. not as creative. He's going to be a lot safer with the ball. And then we say how much of Antonio Brown's production was because Ben Roethlisberger was creative ben roethlisberger did extend plays oftentimes it was antonio brown reacting after the initial play outside of structure and Mm -hmm. those were the big plays and also ben roethlisberger making throws as a steelers fan i could say you know he's one of the kings of the no 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 yes throw (laughs) uh, because antonio brown Mm -hmm. makes the play and what i'm watching for in that first game against denver and that's another thing so let's there's a lot here this is really rich right
0: have to unpack it all
2: you do well so Denver week one first of all Vic Fangio watch Mm -hmm. out for Denver's defense to look like Chicago's defense did last year there was a piece uh, over three different top NFL coaches offensive coaches said Vic Fangio's defense is the toughest defense to prepare for Mm -hmm. and they have the players there to do it another problem here and this is why we have to be careful to not be premature so I suspect that Antonio Brown may end up being uh, a, a buy low if you still like him because they're not going to have Gabe Jackson early in the season. Richie Incognito. It's so funny that Richie Incognito being back in the league is like a footnote. Right. You know? yeah. you know, Richie Incognito <laughs> is back happened. in the league yeah. playing for John Gruden. Mm-hmm. My it's a goodness. footnote. Yeah. Um, so you know they've got Colton Miller. They did add Trent Brown in the off season. So that's that's mm-hmm. a big addition to this line. So this line's going to have to contend with Denver, and then you know Kansas City. It's this is a game that should be a good game for the offense then Minnesota and Indianapolis and then Chicago Indianapolis defense is pretty good now mm-hmm. so this could be a rough stretch and this is another narrative street thing how does Antonio Brown react if he's playing for an 0-5 team at that point sure does this team start to look forward to Las Vegas does this team start mm-hmm. to look forward to, like kind of see that this has all really been an operation a Trojan horse operation to just get the team to Vegas make the money for the owner and keep the fans interested as long as you can mm-hmm but what I'm watching for, and the one thing that has been appealing to m- in my gourd, is the idea that even Derek Carr will understand that here's your best play. Throw it around Antonio Brown somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know, just one, two, throw it in his vicinity.
0: Right, yeah.
2: And especially if nothing else is working against Denver, because the play doesn't have time to develop. Especially if they get in a shootout against Kansas City, um, and so on. If I'm seeing Derek Carr just start to understand hey, I have a Hall of Famer over here. I don't need to nickel and dime the defense with Hunter Renfro. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need to rely on – I don't have time for Tyra Williams to get deep anyway. Uh, Then we start getting into that range of outcomes where Antonio Brown has 120 or 130 catches, Mm -hmm. and you look brilliant for taking him. And then that's something you need to act on. But understanding all these things going into the season gives us that framework. So week one, Oakland runs into a brick wall Mm -hmm. and loses 31-3. Mm-hmm. That's not definitive. That's probably more about Vic Pangio in Denver than mm-hmm. it is about Oakland.
0: Right. right. Now, real quick,
1: Chris. Sorry. Uh, yeah. When I, when I hear the, uh, when I hear the, the Ben Roethlisberger narrative kind of, was it big Ben or, or was it, uh, was it Antonio Brown? And you can look at like the Michael Vick stuff a little bit and say that Antonio Brown could still be okay. But what really sticks out to me every single time someone mentions that is that one play that Ben Roethlisberger faked the spike and, uh, and hit Antonio Brown for a touchdown. And is without being there all training camp, this really worries me. This is the other side of narrative street that I'm sitting on. Maybe I'm sitting on the middle with Antonio Brown, is that he hasn't been there all training camp. Does that happen? I mean, that took six years for Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown to develop. No quarterback-wide receiver combination uh, in the NFL were on the same page. Now, if Antonio Brown insists they weren't friends, that's fine. But to know that that quarterback was going to fake that spike and he's just – and I'm sure they practiced it but the fact is that Antonio Brown was not there to practice that type of thing with Derek Carr there's a lot of nuances that go into playing quarterback and wide receiver together uh, besides just running the correct route so that'll be interesting to see as well how much is it going to affect that he hasn't been there
0: right and I think that's I think that's the I guess the biggest argument that I think would make me amenable to the argument that Antonio Brown isn't going to succeed in 2019 and I think a lot of folks, as, as Sig, you were just pointing out, a lot of folks will probably point to that very first game in Denver, where they're already going up against uh, a tough defense with Vic Fangio, and they'll be like, "Aha! See, I knew it. I knew this is what was going to happen." But if you look at the rest of their schedule, but even uh, I mean, even the first after the first couple of weeks, and things get a little bit better, I mean, overall, that could present a, a buy low opportunity for mm-hmm. a lot of folks, depending on how the offense starts to come together. And so there's at least there's a path to people. People being able to, I guess, react to at least some some positive news around the team as they start to, I guess, to gain that rapport and gain that, uh, you know, and gain that, uh, I guess, the nuance or that connection so that they can start to actually, you know, make some magic on the field. I mean, we've seen, I mean, we've seen both sides of it, right? We've seen, uh, what was it, the, I don't want to say the argument, but at least the, I'll just say it was an argument between Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen. I mean, mm-hmm, last sure. season, we saw mm-hmm. that where they just they weren't on the same page. And it got to the point where they weren't able to hit routes together, like mm-hmm. after Adam Thielen blew up after you know his streak of 100, uh, 100 yards per game. Uh, but then we also saw it on the opposite side after just this past weekend with T.Y. Hilton, I guess, in tears over mm-hmm. the loss of his quarterback and Andrew Luck. So we understand the importance of that connection between a wide receiver and a quarterback. So I can see that. Happening, or I can see that being, I guess a, I guess a constant thing like throughout the season that people will come back to and not necessarily retrofit a narrative to it, but at least that could be a reason. I guess that would insert some risk into Antonio Brown's value uh, going into 2019. But I guess now moving on, I guess now that let's say that we're we're in the draft itself, uh-huh. and whether it's a uh, dynasty startup uh, redraft. Uh, regardless of the situation i guess um i guess wh- how are you like what are you considering in a player's like range of outcomes like what what are you using in order to say like well even if I want to take from a dynasty perspective, like their you know three year window and try and project mm-hmm. out like the next couple of years, or even just for this season, as we just discussed with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, whomever, I guess, how are you picturing, I guess, their their short term or their long term outcomes, like when you're drafting?
2: Yeah, no, this is great. And I, one of the things I want to point out that you, you're making me think about as you ask this question, Chris, and and uh, y- you all have talked about DFS too, is it's funny. Because I think the DFS community would consider themselves like the most sober and objectively analytical about it. But projecting one game is the most mysterious and throw it all up in the air. You know, I mean, how many times how many times do we all see every year, usually around week four, four week five? Last year, I think it was Buffalo and Minnesota, which might have been week two or week three, where there's a game. Where there's a two touchdown favorite or more, and we all just pencil it in that this is going to be a blowout, and it goes exactly the opposite mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like that doesn't even usually happen. So if you're doing redraft or you're doing dynasty, at least you're looking at an arc of a season or, like you said, three years or five years or the player's whole career, where eventually things correct themselves. And in a game, things may not correct themselves. We might just get that one outcome. You know, y'all know. Like sometimes you watch a team, if, especially if you're a really strong fan of a team, you understand this. Sometimes you watch a team and you're like. Who are those guys in that uniform? They're not yep. the same guys that I watched last week. Right. It, it just can't be, and you just have to chalk it up. And it can be things like they had to turn around and play after four days or, like, Tony Romo and the couldn't get this pain injection on Thanksgiving. Like, sometimes we find out after the fact why, but in the real time it's very hard to understand. You feel safer making these kinds of, of bets on players in Redraft and Dynasty because, well, first and foremost, Chris, as you're asking that question, I think, the quality of the offense. Mm-hmm. And there's just—better offenses are going to create more overachievers, and for offenses in the bottom half, especially the bottom third of the league, to create overachievers, the only thing you're really going to have is either a ridiculous amount of volume— Uh, Over expectations, or perhaps you get that uh, Blake Bortles, Allen Robinson, garbage time Mm -hmm. magic, you know, where because the team is so bad, there's just times that extended times to play without resistance from the defense. You know, maybe that's what happened for some Miami players this year. I don't know, but it's safer to just bet on the offense and even even larger fellows. So you know, esports is on the rise, right? Like people right. I see like thousands of people will go to an arena to watch people play video games,
0: right? Oh, I love watching League of Legends is my, my thing. I love <laughs> watching <laughs>
2: that, its it's and it, what's cool what's, what's where the where this comes in, Chris, is that we're thinking about fantasy players, right? Mm-hmm. So we're picking the the characters in the video game. But really, maybe we take a step back and think about the person playing the game. Mm-hmm. That's Sean McVeigh. That's uh, you know, Kyle, Cliff Kingsbury. Right. That's and in some ways, if that's like Matt Patricia, you know, which one of these buttons does that again? You know what I mean? Like you're you're betting on the person pulling the strings, the puppet master, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to put the players in advantageous spots. So you know you can think about it in terms of like again these video game characters. So there can be a video game character like your Madden player that's like everything's turned up to ninety nine, ninety nine, ninety nine, yeah, yeah, ninety nine. Right. But if the person, if my if my six year old is playing the game. Mm-hmm. That's player's still not going to get sure. out of neutral. Right. Meanwhile, somebody with someone down in the 80s who's really experienced can zig and zag and, and, and you know, wreak havoc in the game. Mm-hmm. So thinking about play callers, thinking about offenses creating advantages for their players. And, of course, the foundation of this is always like offensive line, the GM's sound personnel decisions. Um, that's what I think about more and more every year, especially when it comes to Dynasty.
1: Now, Sig, it's awesome that you mentioned the uh, the offense thing because that's something that you guys have really hammered home when they audible to me this season. I, I mean, I listen every week, and it's always, uh, well, what offense is he on? And I, yeah. that might not have been something I try to try to get better at one thing every year, if if not many more things, at least one. And that's one thing that I looked at this year is if I've got a tier of players, and in dynasty, it's. Um, You know, if one player and another player in a tier, you take the younger one. But if I've got a tier of players and one of them is in Kansas City, then I take the guy in Kansas City. So that really sandwiches these next three questions together because I've got an example of, look, me and Chris talk every single day. And almost every day we're talking about Damian Williams. Mm -hmm. Um, We're both in Darwin camp, but Chris is more, uh, I just want whoever's starting in Kansas Mm -hmm. City. And I'm more along the lines of, okay, but that should be Darwin. Uh, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen. So I ended up taking Damian Williams in my home league uh, at 310, and it just felt it just felt horrible. I did not feel good about it whatsoever. Luckily, I got Carry On Johnson on the way back around. But what I want to mention is that you hammer home being like water, and I want you to elaborate that on that just a little bit because I feel like I was like water, and I feel like I would am getting to a point where I'm able to say, okay, maybe I was wrong on Damian Williams. Maybe he is going to, is going to hold the starting role. So what do you think it is to be like
2: water and drafts and fantasy in general? I think that it's like, um, not, uh, not trying to go uphill, right? Like, not trying to... When I mean, you think about water, it's so funny, because, I mean, I'm looking out my window in New Orleans here, and there's a bunch of different ways I, I can do it. Lots of, lots of... Oh, no, and everything's... And everybody's sympathy. I was just posting, because I thought I was a cool... In New Orleans, you see uncanny things, you things that see surreal things that make you double-take every day. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's water up to your wheels. Sometimes, you know, it's a parade going down the middle of the street at, like, 8 a.m. Uh, uh, anyway, um, I think being like water is being receptive and fluid and listening and being humble to what the league the games that the what you watch tells you instead of trying to fit that in mm-hmm. something you've already decided so it's just like don't res- stop resisting it um and then this, again this comes background to i need more evidence but i need more evidence because i thought this other thing was going to happen right Mm -hmm. so you know if we really wanted to try to do some sort of a double blind experiment or something imagine if you would being a fantasy analyst but not doing any of the preseason prep at all like just being a total blackout not even drafting any teams or anything maybe even we could take somebody who understands team sports but has never watched the NFL and isn't familiar with any of these players' backstories. Mm-hmm. You know, like some somebody who's who loves sports but is from, you know, uh uh Armenia or something mm-hmm. and and just watches the NFL and then and and lets this stuff wash over them and you just say, "Okay, this is what's happening. I I'm not going to try to tell myself it's it's reversing." I think one of the biggest mistakes I make too is thinking this trend is going to reverse and then not seeing it one week, two weeks, three weeks and saying, oh, I if, if this just happens and maybe you have a good reason, you know, like you like Derrick Henry. The first four weeks are rough. And well, Taylor LeJuan going to come back. and Maybe that, you know, you can hold out hope if you have a reason. Mm-hmm. But but being like water is saying, I mean, you know, like I'm not high on Nick Foles. I don't necessarily know what Nick Foles is going to be outside of a, a good offense, outside of that puppet master, right, whether it's Chip Kelly or Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. So I'm not buying D.D. Westbrook, you know. I'm not, I'm not looking at this offense as more than a bottom-third offense. But week one against Kansas City, if D.D. Westbrook catches 10 balls for 120 yards— then maybe his median week to week is more like six for 70. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at a 90, hundred catch guy. And, and those are the times that you, you can't, you shouldn't necessarily resist what it's telling you. Um, and I think that mo- a lot of the times that I've been able to do best in fantasy is when I realize I'm wrong and overcorrect, if you will, you know, for it. And a lot of the times that, uh, I, I regret are the times that I have a a spark a thought an idea and then I don't act on it because I had been carrying some other belief counter to that um, so I think that just clearing the deck when the season starts and and letting go of everything that you use to draft your teams and reacting in the moment to what you see is how to be fluid and it's easy to take advantage of because as humans we get dug in and uh if anything is true guys adam chris like we're going to be really wrong about like at least 30 or 40 percent of things all of us every single fantasy analyst is going to be really wrong about a lot of things Mm -hmm. and there's going to be at least four or five things that less than one percent of us would have predicted and one or two of those things might be the things that swing leaks. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that that's the easiest way to get on that train is if you just let go.
0: No, and I think that's – it's important from just a – even from just a fantasy standpoint, but even just from – I mean if we want to – You know, like, like you say, to the navel gaze for a second and look at it from a, I guess, from a personal standpoint to be able to look back and see that, all right, well, this, this process or this, uh, this take that I have or this way of looking at things is wrong and trying to, you know, be more amenable to, you know, pivoting in a different direction. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's important for all of us and not just from a, not just from a fantasy football perspective. And I guess the, I guess the follow up question for that, uh, is i guess how soon do we start yeah. to you know take those tidbits uh, whether they be um you know notes from the coaches whether they be uh, you know signs that we see on the field, uh, even if it's just from a redraft perspective, whether it's just maybe a couple games is the sample, or even from a dynasty perspective, might be uh, one bad year. Like somebody's, you know, their rookie year isn't off to a great start. Maybe their second year isn't all that great, but maybe now for the third year, everything's put in place so that you know they should be primed for success. Corey Davis, uh, you know, but play, you know, players that are that that have that momentum behind them. But might not be, might not have hit that ceiling yet, or even like broken out. But at least, you know, how do we kind of process some of that information to maybe hold on, or maybe it's time for yeah. you know to to you know to shut them down.
2: The only answer is to just be familiar with all of these things going into the season, so you can frame the significance of what you're watching. So like you like you mentioned, like. Um, Corey Davis or some of the players as I, I'm just looking down a list of teams guys. And I'm just thinking of players that we've heard inklings of maybe ready to take a leap, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Calvin Ridley, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, um, uh, Curtis Samuel, Mm uh, you know, um, players that we have been hearing. Michael Gallup comes to mind here. Um, even Tony Pollard or any number of rookie running backs, Mm -hmm. um, and and here's where – and rational coaching comes into this. Mm-hmm. But, so we focus a lot right now on this is the plan. You know, Looking at how preseason usage is, looking at practices, looking at depth charts, this must be this team's plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And some coaches are stubborn, and even if they're getting evidence that their plan could be better if they change it, they won't change it. The good coaches and the good offenses will. Mm-hmm. So those are the offenses where you want to act – because you know, oh, it's happening, you know, and especially based on that week one matchup, right? Because we can look at the week one matchup like San Fran and Tampa. Like, say you're a little worried about Jimmy Garoppolo.
0: He just mm-hmm. pulled
2: together in the third preseason game, but it yeah, hasn't been positive. Mm-hmm. So if he goes out and lights up Tampa Bay, does that mean everything's good? No. Yeah, sure. It might just be Tampa. Right, right. So, right. Sure. So one of the things, you know, that next data point, like w- w- if we watch the, the next week and San Fran plays Cincinnati, well, mm-hmm. okay, Pittsburgh. Hopefully, that Do Pittsburgh better. Right. At yeah. some point, we we can we can recontextualize what we've already seen. Right. So here's a big thing that happens in fantasy football, or should happen in fantasy football, if you're really stimulated and engaged in it, is you think one thing happened, and then something happens later, and you realize, oh, what I thought happened was actually different. The reasons were actually different than what I thought at the time. So I think when you're familiar with these things, you know. And then speaking of those week one matchups, we can look at week one matchups and say, oh, okay. Well, hey even though I feel like Darius Geis is just too much of an (laughs) uphill battle. (laughs) But if he gets 12 carries against the Eagles and racks up 150 yards with like a 50-yard run and and a 40-yard run, then the Eagles are the kind of run defense that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can run on the Eagles, like similarly, um, you know, we might look at, say, James Conner. You know, some people have been, you know, well, we'll see about James Conner. Mm-hmm. If he creases the Patriots, that's more meaningful, mm-hmm. say, than if Tevin Coleman creases the Tampa, right? So if Tevin Coleman gets the first call against Tampa and does actually have a really good week one, like 16 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown, and Breida only gets nine carries for 50 yards, mm-hmm. say, well, this is going to be a committee. Well, maybe the, the perceived gap between Breida mm-hmm. and Coleman isn't perceptible against a bad defense it's only when they face a good defense. So I think keeping that context in mind, I'm trying to look for other matchups that can give us um, an idea of, oh, okay, this must be real. You know, mm-hmm. Green, Green Bay and Chicago is another good one because mm-hmm. we're wondering like LeFleur and Rodgers and this offense, is it going to be better, like the weight of Mike McCarthy lifted? And we're all going to have our eyes on that Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. You know, if, they, if it looks like Aaron Rodgers of old in this Game against Chicago, as opposed to last year where he had to pull a rabbit out of a hat, um, then we know we can project Green Bay's offense at the upper end of outcomes. We know whoever it is. So th- I mean, I know I've, I'm going on and on. There's a lot there. But I think that's what makes this so much fun for us guys, because we're at that click, click, click point of the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. We're at the- Almost at the first hill, right, and and then we we're just we're just holding on, trying not mm-hmm. to puke on ourselves, and you know just <laughs> just enjoying the ride. And then at the end, we see where the dust settles and how all of our teams do. But it's the ride that's the enjoyment more than the outcome
0: right and uh, the the big one there actually now that we're discussing uh week 1 matchups is uh i guess uh, baltimore plays miami if miami, i'm not mistaken right. and yeah. that's the one that i'm North most Jackson. interested in yeah because i mean everybody i guess the the big thing it's with lamar it's it's not about the rushing it's about the passing and we've been hearing uh him lighting up defenses we've been hearing uh talks about uh 30 passes a game so I mean, I'm really interested uh, interested to see how Marquise Brown like if he's going to be ready and how he folds into the offense Miles Boykin Willie Sneed, Mark Andrews like all the ancillary pieces I mean Justice Hill been hearing a lot about him as well oh, so I mean yeah, Justice Hill. same and I think that's the that's going to be one of the matchups that I think folks will look at to say that even if let's say he does well let's say Lamar Jackson does well as a as a passer let's say 250 and let's yeah. say um, let's say 70 80 yards rushing somewhere in there that that's where he he winds up for that game but everyone then will i'm wondering if folks will look back and say well it's just against Miami
2: right you know and then the next week it's just against Arizona and then the right. next week it's just against Kansas City sure. but, so so since you brought that matchup up i think this is a good one to forecast you know one of the fun article ideas i've been bouncing around in my head is like writing today what's the who are going to be the hottest waiver wire pickups in week 2 does <laughs> Right, Justice, well, um, I
1: already picked him up, <laughs> right?
2: And, and so so, but projecting that matchup out, it's very easy to foresee Xavier Howard blanketing Miles Boykin, mm-hmm. and Lamar Jackson is going to be smart. And meanwhile, who's even playing linebacker mm-hmm. for Miami? I mean, this is a team year after year after year. We want to target their linebackers in the passing game. So whether it's Hayden Hurst or Mark Andrews or even mm-hmm. Nick Boyle. You know, Mark Andrews, I think, should be a very popular DFS week one play, along Mm -hmm. with Mark Ingram, because this just should be, guys, Miami's going to be like 2018 Arizona bad, right? I mean, they're not just going to be bad. Mm -hmm. They're going to be a team that's like as bad as any team over the last three or five years. So then you could see everyone say, well, Miles Boykin, I'm tossing him back to the waiver wire. No, Arizona's corners. Who's Mm -hmm. even playing corner for Arizona? Byron Murphy, and I don't even know who else. Right. Uh, (laughs) Kansas City. You know, these two weeks coming up, those are your Miles Boykin weeks. So, again, keeping that context is important. But I think that matchup stands out. The Jacksonville-Kansas City matchup stands out. Um, The Detroit-Arizona matchup stands out. There are matchups. Even Cincinnati-Seattle, because a lot of people think, oh, Cincinnati's offense is going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. Right now, Seattle's defense isn't exactly in great shape either. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are maybe the games to not overreact to... Um, where there are other games that are exciting, man, yeah. um, like Carolina and the Rams, ooh, oh, man. yeah, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and New England, how I already mentioned. Oh, yeah, you know these are games where Minnesota and Atlanta, um, even the Chargers and Indy, you know, because we're looking for that first data point on Indy's, the Texans and the Saints. Mm-hmm. These are all games that I want to put more value in those Week One and be more willing to overreact
0: to those right. games. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, Sig, you left me salivating at this segment because yeah. I knew
1: that the mention of Darius Guys was coming. So, Chris mm-hmm. is going to have to bear with me for a second because yeah. I've got a lot to unpack here with some practical application on Darius guys and my own personal experience of this roller coaster this offseason. season. So, Sig, as you get to know me, you're going to know that I'm the Darius Skye guy. It was on you my could. name tag. It was on my name tag at the Midwest Fantasy Expo. Oh, yes, he's, he's my dude. But the the problem is, we have to admit that we were. We were wrong in some cases. We have to pivot in some cases. So when he came out last year, I thought that he was as good a runner as Saquon Barkley, and we don't know in the passing game. He went to LSU. They're, they're not going to use their running backs as a pass catcher. So we just don't know. I think he has that ability, but I digress there. Uh, at the beginning of the offseason, so let's use Scott Fishbowl. I drafted him in the fourth round in Scott Fishbowl. Come to find out there were people drafting him in the third. So I, I even wasn't the highest. But you get the re-signing of Adrian Peterson, and I say, okay, well, Darius Geis is much better. And then you get the setbacks with the knee injury, and I say, okay, but it's still Darius Geis. And you keep going and you keep going and you keep saying, well, it's still Darius Geis. Eventually, you get to the point where he's on a horrible offense with a bad coach behind Adrian Peterson for now. Chris Thompson will always get passing work. So then it gets to the point where – I took him in the seventh round of the last draft that I was in. And then this home league draft, I passed on him in the eighth round. And the problem here is not Darius Geis. And you can like Darius Geis as much as you want. Nobody likes him more than I do. But the problem here is admitting that maybe you were wrong about his fantasy prowess this year. I think he's amazing still. Mm -hmm. But you pivot. And uh, I think some people would rather – Take their narratives to the grave metaphorically with their fantasy Mm -hmm. teams um then pivot at any point but as you mentioned his first week's matchup is very difficult and i think if he comes out and lights up the eagles there's no looking back yeah so what i've had to do since he has gone so late is look chris thompson has value regardless he should be the 20th round pick in every league or whatever the last round is you take him because when chris thompson was healthy he was very close to a running back one. Um, and now I understand that was a couple years ago, but Chris Thompson's still the same player that's catching the ball in electric in space. So you can take Chris Thompson anyways. Now, what's stopping you from taking a late-round dart on Adrian Peterson? So say he starts three, four games until Darius Geiss gets his legs under him. Okay, so you used an eighth-round pick on a guy who could play 75% of your season as a running back two-ish and Darius Geis. Adrian Peterson gets you four starts, and Chris Thompson has value either way. So this is a way that I pivoted, um, admitted that I might have been wrong. Darius Guys couldn't mm-hmm. carry the whole load. Darius Guys couldn't come out and just light up the league like I wish he would. But you can pivot there a little bit, and that's how I chose to pivot this offseason.
2: Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff to unpack here. First of all, you're right, and there's every reason to be have that on your name tag. Because <laughs> Darius Geis, if you go back and watch him, is, is in the vicinity of Saquon Barkley. He's in the vicinity of Nick Chubb. He's in the vicinity of not just one of the best running backs in his class, but can be the best running back in his class level talent. Like, um, can level off as one of the 10 best running backs in the league. No doubt about it. That hasn't changed because of his ACL mm-hmm. injury. I mean, Nick, Chubb has, in, Nick Chubb's injury was a lot worse than Darius Geis' injury. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You, you bring up the passing game thing. And that's another one where Nick Chubb is instructive or Leonard Fournette, his college teammate. Mm-hmm. Where Leonard now now, guys, the world's upside down. We're talking about Leonard Fournette catches sixty or seventy balls this year. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, like David Caldwell can't manage a roster. They really needed to keep Corey Grant, or they should have an actual passing sure. down back. They should have got theoretic, or maybe there'll be someone the final cuts, but they they want to use Leonard Fournette as that guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're right. gonna do. So Darius guys can absolutely be functional in the passing game. But it's a really a referendum on, is his talent so overwhelming that it doesn't even matter the situation you put him in? Like, one of the things that is easy to forget, and I'm taking Chubb and Connor and maybe even Dalvin Cook over Joe Mixon at this point. But Joe Mixon's situation cannot possibly be worse than it was in December last year. Mm-hmm. We had Dr- Jeff Driscoll as his quarterback. You know, the offensive mm-hmm. line was just as bad as it's going to be now. And he was balling out. Mm-hmm. And so, so Darius Geis might be that guy. He might be that guy. And the other thing, another thing that's brought up in you, and I think we have to be sober about this Adrian Peterson's still there. Adrian Peterson at what, 34 now? Uh, he can still play, though. Yeah. And it, it, Adrian Peterson doesn't seem like the kind of guy that can just get swept aside. Aha! But in New Orleans, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's like what, like they just, well, we don't really need you. Does mm-hmm. Darius Geis make them say, well, and even Samaj Pirine, who's coming around, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to be as good. I remember it was Samaj P Ryan or Kareem Hunt yep. in Dynasty. Oh Red yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so Darius Geis can come out that first week and show enough to make the coaches. And I think we can trust Jay Gruden to be an, a rational coach, right? To just tear up the plans and say whatever our plans were for this offense. Darius Geis is our guy. I mean, we mm-hmm. have to. We. I mean, he, Darius Geis is going to be like like the rodeo bull, ready to come out of the chute. So I think that because – and what's cool about this, Adam, is that because like we have our guys, like we each have our, t- our, our guys we put on our name tag, mm-hmm. that's going to make you primed to react and overreact in some people's opinion in a way that other people aren't going to be ready to do. So yes, Darius Geis' talent is so overwhelming that he may be one who falls into the narrative of – Situation just doesn't matter. I mean, Jay Gruden's not Mike McCoy. This isn't going to be David Johnson 2018 where we watch him use in this utterly inefficient way that makes us say, does he even know what he has? Jay Gruden is a, is a coach that's going to make the best out of what he has, like Chan Gailey, you know, like Mm -hmm. make whatever you give him. He's like, "Well, we'll just go to work with this and see what we can do with it. So, it's understanding that it could be one polar end and mm-hmm. say the Washington without Trent Williams. Hey, at least Eric Flowers is a guard. At least they're not putting him at tackle.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, <yeah.
2: laughs> so this situation is so bad. No running back could overcome it. Or Darius Geis is the guy that it doesn't matter the situation you put him in. He will overcome it, and we only need because that first game is a road game against a division opponent. We only need one game of evidence to say, okay, I'm. I, I feel pretty sure about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And
1: Jay Gruden on the hot seat, right? So yeah, you're you're not going to win games. So how do you keep your job? You show promise. So he right. needs Askinson guys to show promise, or else he's out of there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I would rather, I guess, if again, the assumption of rational coaching. I would rather tie my fate. As a as a head coach in the NFL to up and coming talent like sure, Darius right. Geis, mm-hmm. uh, Terry McLaurin, DeAndre uh, yes. Haskins, like players like that versus Adrian Peterson, uh, Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, mm-hmm. right, right. I, it just seems like it, again from a rational standpoint, I think those are the guys I would rather uh, attach my job security to if I were yeah. thinking about this correctly. I guess, but uh, I guess moving on to I guess we we've. I guess we walked around the player, we've walked around the team and all that, but just tried to look at specific player situations mm-hmm. and Damien Williams has been the talk of the town since February. Yeah. Probably shortly. Yeah, yeah. I mean since uh, since that uh, was D Ford lined up, you know, lined up like offsides and pretty mm-hmm. much tanked uh, Kansas City's shot at going to the Super Bowl. The discussion around the Chiefs has really been, other than Tyreek Hill, has been what their running back, uh, you know, situation is going to look like in 2019. So, Sig, can you walk us through, mm-hmm. I guess, how you've read those tea leaves? Because sure. the the debate has been around, well, Damian Williams, uh, you know, undrafted, uh, played third fiddle to. I mean, Kenyon Drake, Drake uh, to Jay Lamar Miller. I mean, just a slew of, let's say, middle-of-the-road, replacement-level uh, talent in Miami, and now he's at the forefront of both his team and the fantasy discussion when it comes to drafting running backs in the second, third round. So has so what have you seen from a both a production standpoint and from what the team has been kind of – uh, you know, putting out in the in the news that has you know lets you believe that you know Damien Williams is going to be the guy. I mean, forget about Carlos Carlos Hyde. I mean, Darwin Thompson, yeah. absolutely. But...
2: Stop there. Forget about Carlos. <laughs> yeah, I really. Sorry.
0: Right. But how have you gotten to that point where it's like Damien Williams, third round pick? Let, let's do yeah. this. I mean, I can yeah. buy you can buy into that. How have you gotten there?
2: So there's a lot to unpack here, too. But this is fun, right? Because what's fun about it is that play, the Damien Williams, 62 yard touchdown catch and run. The wheel is, route. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like a it's like a roar shock, though, because on one hand, you can say that's look, Damian Williams is is good. And Damian Williams is good at the things they ask him to do in this Kansas City offense, and you should feel comfortable drafting him. But you can also abstract out a level and say, Kansas City's offense, the play design, puts players in positions to succeed. I mean, come on, y'all. If that was Darwin Thompson running that route, we'd be having this conversation about Darwin Thompson, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Because what happens is Solomon Thomas is isolated because of the defensive formation and personnel, Solomon poor Solomon Thomas is isolated on uh, Damian Williams and has to follow him out to the flat, except there's all these routes in between the receivers. Our bodies are in between him and Damian Williams because of the play design. Sometimes NFL guys like the, and there's so many people out there doing incredible work, studying film. Okay. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people try to make it seem much more complicated I love Greg Cosell. I don't want. I, I, I have nothing positive to say about what Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell is one of the people who's responsible for us being able to have these erudite, uh, high level of discourse discussions about football. Like going mm-hmm. in, you know, Steve Sables and other rest in peace. Like these people who said people like to think about football. Mm-hmm. People, like, people like to be intellectually stimulated by it. But sometimes the play design is really simple, in in, in a way that if you, to understand it, it's like going back to the. Like you're the bottle cap and I'm the piece of glass, and and you're you're the 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 screw, and you go this way, you go this way, and the play design is just brilliant in simplicity. Where Solomon Thomas can't follow Damian Williams through this field of bodies, mm-hmm. and and it's really the Kansas City setting up. Their receivers, because it's Patrick Mahomes, man. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're you're guarding against Tyree Kill now, McCole Hardman too. You're guarding against Ty- Travis Kelsey. You're always going to be leaving somebody in that situation, and Patrick Mahomes is going to find them. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Mahomes looks so comfortable, just putting that ball floating it out there, so Damian Williams can just run right under it, not even break stride, and then Portrush Kiski Tart has mm-hmm. to catch him in the open field or it's a touchdown right mm-hmm. so I, I do all this flowery discussion to say really what we want to bet on here is the kansas city running back
0: mm-hmm.
2: absolutely so we look at this right first it was um uh charcant well you know first with jamal charles but then you have charkander quest and spencer Ware, and spencer Ware separates himself from west mm-hmm. then where and people don't realize. Go back and look at the first half of Ware's 2016. I think, yeah. and he was producing at the Kareem Hunt level. Yes, he was. And then he got a concussion. He wasn't the same. Then it's going to be Hunt and Ware. Ware gets hurt in the preseason. He's not, he hasn't really been the same. Nope. And Hunt runs with the job. Then it's going to be after Hunt gets canned. It's going to be Ware and Williams. Then Ware gets hurt again. Sense the a theme here. And Williams takes and runs with it. So here's the question. Does Andy Reid really want balance? And if Darwin Thompson is as good as Spencer Ware in an overall kind of way, it's going to be more like what we saw just for a game or two with Ware and Williams last year. Or is, is Eric Bieniemy has been insisting, like, Williams is the starter. Mm-hmm. I think that because the offense is so good, as long as Williams gets like 13 to 16 touches a game and at least gets half of the red zone looks you'll be fine with taking him in the third round. You'll be happy you took him in the third round. Because sure. that's going to equal 8,200 total yards and a touchdown more often than not. And likewise, because guys, what I'm what I'm advocating here is because Darwin Thompson, I believe, has emerged as the clear handcuff, the clear number two back, mm-hmm. it makes it easier to take Damian Williams. Because then you can spend a third round pick and maybe Darwin Thompson might take an eighth or a ninth round pick now. But that, for me, ten, yeah, I mean, I would wait until the 10th, but you might have to reach around. Uh Uh-oh, did I just say reach around? Anyway,
0: uh, (laughs) it it, it
2: was that... Who was it? It was Gruden on... It was during that horrible monday night football game oh between yes. josh freeman remember yeah. whenever there was some fight it's like mom and dad are fighting mm-hmm. so you wanted josh freeman there play him even though yeah. he doesn't even know the offense it was so painful It was really the most depressing football game i've ever watched sure. and that's whenever uh that was the reach around sack game anyway <laughs> you see y'all see what really goes on in my brain right. when i go off on these tangents but if i can corner the kansas city running game for a third and ninth or tenth round pick, you have to. You, you got it. And if if it's a 50-50 committee, then they're both going to be upside running back to flexes because that Damian Williams play should show you that unlike most offenses, running backs, and Kareem Hunt was doing it, Damian Williams was doing it, running backs can score on almost any play in this offense. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the Kansas City offense this year, in general, when you think about it, you should be leaving your draft with one or two key pieces of this offense. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's the, where we're going, we won't need roads, Offense and uh, and then I i just so I'm all for any of these investments because what you should see is not the individual players but how easy it is for this offense to move the ball, make big plays.
1: Mm-hmm. Now was miko Harmon the best accident that Kansas City could have possibly had?
2: Yeah, but absolutely.
1: That, had to, that was a reach. I mean, any draft analyst knows that they reached for that pick, and it's quite obvious he was filling the Tyreek Hill role that didn't need filled. And now you have two guys that are faster than everybody else on the field. There's 24. Uh, 22 players on the field uh, two of them the two fastest are on kansas city at any given time but darwin thompson in the 10th round you got to think he has the most upside of any most injury upside yeah. of anybody in the 10th yeah. round and redraft i mean uh and standalone put, value right sure if you, yeah and you know if you put some P. Ryan in the 10th round on kansas city right. He is the biggest upside pick in the 10th yeah. round. It doesn't matter that it's Darwin Thompson. It just so happens that Darwin Thompson is proving to be very good and somebody that we kind of missed on in the dynasty community. So it's about cornering an offense. And as I mentioned earlier, that's something that I've been working on a lot this year. And the 10th round, if I'm looking at uh, my fifth wide receiver on a start three or Darwin Thompson how do you not take Darwin Thompson right. because it's a player that's just going to sit on your bench either way. It's not your primary fill-in for bye weeks or injuries. You have to have a Kansas City back and that's where you take him. And even Darryl Williams. You sure. know,
2: I won't I won't even blame someone. Well, Look, here, so here's the prescription for Darryl Williams. The moment you see darwin thompson or damian williams like limp off the field or like grab something you get darrell williams on your roster mm-hmm. and then and, and 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 so on and so forth because it's the situation the player just needs to be competent uh and and it's really exciting to have a, an offense set up like that because i i think that last year people won their league just by reacting to i want kansas city running back whoever it mm-hmm. is damian williams helped people win their league and Whatever the name isn't important. The team, the offense is important,
0: right? And isn't it isn't just wild that it, through all this discussion. I mean, we've talked about the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, almost everybody except for except for Sammy Watkins. Isn't that wild? That throughout throughout all sure. of this, like Watkins is it. essentially a, a footnote uh, mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. With as much mm-hmm. with as much buzz as he's had with throughout the dynasty community and all that. Like he really is like the what the fourth option maybe
2: yeah so there are players there are some players like Sammy Watkins, Devontae Freeman, Allen Robinson who mm-hmm. uh we on the dynasty tip we can go back and recollect like how did we view these players 2 or 3 years ago sure mm-hmm. and a lot has happened in the last 2 or 3 years but none of these guys are older than 27 and All of them have had blissfully uneventful off-seasons, right? Like how many times has there even been a Sammy Watkins off-season that that didn't have some sort of nagging injury or a surgery to rehab from?
1: And Mm -hmm. Kansas City apparently figured it out.
2: Yeah, something. And and, and that's something, you know, guys, on the Dynasty tip – that's something that I think, like, I'm looking at A.J. Green in redraft, but this is a larger dynasty take. It's in Washington, Washington's looming over this whole thing. <laughs> Did y'all see when Sua Cravens went off on Washington? Oh, on Twitter, yes. By the way, yeah. I, was, mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. wish to all NFL players, like, I, w- I want to see more NFL players pull back that veil mm-hmm. for us occasionally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you take a player in dynasty or you trade for a player in dynasty, you're trusting the organization. Not just to create advantageous situations on the field like we're talking about, but mm-hmm. develop the player to do right by them when they get hurt, to, to foster their mental and emotional and psychological development. Uh, you're trusting the locker room. You're trusting the teammates. So it's easy. Like players hit their peak with Kansas City, right? Players mm-hmm. hit their peak with Philadelphia. Play, even Nelson Aguilar, who we were like unsure about going through the transition, he's turning out to be a player that is on the upper side of his range of outcomes, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then there are organizations that we say, well, that's just, it was Cleveland, right? Like that's just a trash organization. And if a player struggles there, we can't hold it against him. Mm-hmm. And let's see what happens when he gets out of that organization. It's like my Pittsburgh pirates in baseball, you know, mm-hmm. like, like we can put together a world series team from all the players, the pirates have traded <laughs> away for nothing. Uh, but we, you know, so organizations and having that context for a player's story can help you see where uh, the smart investments are and then maybe see where there's a turnaround coming when a player ends on, on a second team.
0: Well, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier about like not investing like we invest in the players, but we're also investing in the in the puppet masters. So yeah. if we, we don't want to invest in Hugh Jackson like when he was still in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But once we move over to Doug Peterson and the Eagles, those are the guys that we want to invest in. We want to invest in Todd Munkin like that when he was down right, in Tampa right. Bay. Like those are the guys that we want to see actually succeed because we know that they're capable of putting players in situations they can win. Andy Reid. Yeah, we were just talking about Kansas City chiefs like those are the teams that we want to invest in because we right. know that they're capable of saying okay this is what you're good at doing okay so go do that mm, and yeah. so then now we can actually see that turn into production uh, in a you know in the game logs on our fantasy on, on our fantasy teams and all that so now we're talking about damien williams yeah can the same process that you were talking about for reading what the team was doing can that same process be be applied i guess in a negative way to todd Gurley. <sighs>
2: So the Todd Gurley one, like, look, everybody's going to, like, there's going to be one half of the fantasy community that's going to declare victory on Todd Gurley. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it could even be one of those situations where Todd Gurley is a top eight running back through the first six weeks of the season. And people are saying, see, you should have taken him. And then the first hit he takes on that knee where he's rubbing it and is a little uncomfortable, then you see the team say, all right, we're going to ease back. We're going to use more Malcolm Brown. We're going to use more Daryl Henderson because we have aspirations to play into January and February, mm-hmm. which, which is in- eminently predictable, right? So the situation with Todd Gurley, I think, is going to be he – as long as everything is is chugging along without any interruptions, it's going to look really smart to have traded for Todd Gurley in Dynasty Leagues or drafted mm-hmm. him. And if we hit a hitch, maybe we won't hit a hitch all season. But if we hit a hitch, then all the negative outcomes start to come into play, Right. But, yes, if you look at the team – so here's the problem with the situation, and here's why I'm backing away from Todd Gurley. I can't trust the team. Mm-hmm. I can't tr- – they showed us this last year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, y'all remember when we were trying to project those games in December and in the playoffs? That and was trying a to nightmare. Stay? I mean, how many times can you remember going into two weeks saying, this guy could get – Five touches for yep. ten total yards, or twenty-five for two hundred total yards. I remember the pivot to C.J.
1: Anderson over Todd Gurley when you had to yep. make that decision, when and it was Week starting. 16. Yep.
2: It was it was the fantasy Super Bowl, and for people that just trusted the Rams team to perform but didn't trust the rams team to tell us the truth about mm-hmm. todd Gurley. they profited but now you're getting into like a hall of mirrors where you're like okay i have to interpret this stuff knowing that if sean McVay says everything's fine that means that everything's not fine sure you mm-hmm. know so when something does happen behind the scenes uh and you know they're trying to tell us stuff like is you know todd Gurley has earned this veteran plan at age 24 now he turned 25 during training camp mm-hmm. i mean how many other guys can you rec- remember at 24 years old that were doing the every other day of practice plan? Right. Something is up. Something's going on. And I would prefer to see what it is on somebody else's roster mm-hmm. than on my roster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but so you're trying to piece together. They try, move up for Daryl Henderson. They they match the Malcolm Brown tender. Um, the veteran plan for Todd Gurley. He didn't fly to Hawaii with them. You know, they tried to set that up as like, you know, we're just trying to do what's best for him. What resonates through my mind is when Sean McVeigh was talking about this back in December, I think it was week 16 or week 17, mm-hmm. he said, We're going to look after the longevity of his career. Right. Mm-hmm. That was A one 24. of the few times I think Sean McVeigh was very honest mm-hmm. about their understanding of what's going on with Todd Gurley's. Name. Right. The other thing I don't like is that he didn't look like Todd Gurley looked like a guy to me that was uncomfortable in his own body. Yeah. And I think it's mental as much as physical. Now, perhaps the reset, we don't know what procedures and things he had in the off season, but you know, most people say there's not anything you can do for arthritis really. Like there's just mm-hmm. not anything you can do exactly. for it. There's not like a, exactly. a plate rich injection or something mm-hmm. stem cells, you know, there's not something like that you can do for arthritis. Right. So these unknowns are scary to me, but the the Rams are, are such a good team. The other good thing here, just as an aside is that the two new stars on the offensive line, Seem to be um, Brian Allen, mm-hmm. Joseph Noteboom, mm-hmm. second-year players. The, it, McVay's treating them like entrenched starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't need to be tested in the preseason or anything like that. So that's good. But here's where it gets fun again. Back to the early schedule. Can you all tell I've been staring at the early schedule a lot? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Carolina and New Orleans and Cleveland open. Okay, especially Carolina and New Orleans.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, Carolina and Cleveland. like That's some hard-hitting front seven yeah. players. Right. That's some yeah. brutal front sevens to face. So if Todd Gurley gets through those three games mm-hmm. and he still looks like Todd Gurley, then I might be willing to say, okay, treat him like a top 10 overall fantasy player again. And he maybe even in Dynasty Leagues, even though, again, for Dynasty Leagues, you've got to remember that longevity. Look it up, folks. Longevity mm-hmm. of his career. Yep. Um, so th- this, this one's going to be really interesting too. But whoever declares victory, whether it's the people saying fade Gurley or mm-hmm. take Gurley, we're all flying blind. You know, um, we're, we're all just kind of saying like, well, I don't, I'm filling in a lot of blanks here that I can't possibly know. So nobody should be too uh, haughty about being right about this because none of us really know.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a That's a divisive topic between Chris and I as well with the Todd Gurley thing. And, Look, fantasy isn't always sunshine and rainbows. I mean, it's a fun hobby, yeah. but this is the type of things that if you're guys like us, you're losing sleep over because you have to take a stand. You're you're passing on Todd Gurley. If you told me a week, let's say week six last year, that this time this year, I'm passing on Todd Gurley at the 206, what? Never. I would shake, I would hmm. shake myself. But here's the thing. I don't ever want to be the injury guy, and, and I, I'm – at the at the mountaintops yelling for Keenan Allen he's not injury prone but there's arthritis you said it there is no cure for arthritis you are arthritic after you're arthritic so this goes back to uh we're all kind of hypocrites here so with with the with the Darius guys thing i told you earlier yeah but yeah but yeah but well you get to Todd Gurley and you just keep saying, yeah, but but Todd Gurley is not healthy just because we want him to be healthy. And he's not still Todd Gurley just because we saw him be Todd Gurley. If you go back and watch the Super Bowl, he looks defeated on the sideline. He's almost not interested in the game. He's almost not there because he, he can't believe it. He cannot believe that he's being limited to, what, seven touches in the Super Bowl. And his team's getting blown out. And it's mm-hmm. almost like he's just numb because – he cannot be there physically because of the knee. So, yeah, the offseason's going well for Todd Gurley because he's being limited. You mentioned he's getting the veteran treatment, and that is how arthritis works. You leave it alone, and it's going to feel okay. But you get four weeks into the season, and you're relying on Todd Gurley to produce top five numbers, which he very well might while he's still healthy. He gets through that tough stretch that you mentioned, and then he's not Todd Gurley again. So sometimes we have to just look at ourselves in the mirror and say, am I saying this because this is what I want? Yeah. Or am I saying this because that is logically what might happen?
2: And it goes like, so I was like the Rob Gronkowski or die guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for some of the years, like one of the years it was, you know, too many surgeries. I think it was the year after he took that hit in the Cleveland game and, and busted up his knee. And now it's like, add knee to the surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't care. He's, he, he's, he's, Dominant. I mean, he's like he's like some mythological character out there, like mm-hmm. Thor or something. <laughs> and, and if I'm left holding the bag the year that it all drops out, I'm willing to take that risk to be able to benefit from what he does, like the unfair advantage basically of starting a number one wide receiver production at your tight end spot. And there were years. That, that looked really great. And even last year, because last year I thought with Edelman's suspension, this mm-hmm. offense is going to run through Rob Gronkowski for the first four weeks of the year, and we're off and running. And he, for the first week against Houston, it it did look that way. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he started to get worn down, it the bottom dropped out. Mm-hmm. And I was left holding the bag, and people who listened to me was, uh, were left holding the bag because all of the years of folks saying, it's too many surgeries, who cares how old he is? Mm-hmm. It, his body is like twenty or thirty years older than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do, and I think this is what comes back to what we talked about earlier in the in the show. Is it's hard sometimes to you have? We all have blind spots,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? And that's the thing about a blind spot. It's a blind spot. Like you don't see it, right? I mean, this I could turn this into on the couch episode. Where <laughs> I've learned that I can be in great denial about things in my life, like yeah. I'm really, really like over like putting a bag over my head and be like, No, 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 I'm not listening. I don't I don't see it. I don't care. And because you're in denial, you don't realize you're in denial. I mean that's the essence of being in denial. And it's whenever something breaks through that to say, oh, okay this might be happening. So, guys, it really comes back to intuition, right? It really comes back to intuition. I say this so many times. It's not mysterious. It's not mystical. It's all the knowledge. Your brain a supercomputer. It's all mm-hmm. of your experience, it's all of your knowledge. And you just let it wash over you. And like you said, Adam, like watching Todd Gurley, you just get a vibe, right? Like you just got a vibe from him of like, mm-hmm. oh, this doesn't feel like I might. I know once I do this rehab and once I get this like uh, arthroscopic surgery, I'm going to be fine. It just looked like a guy who had a different relationship to the game than what he had had in the past. And I don't know what's going to come of that. I just know that I, once my brain tells me I'm perceiving that, I'm mm-hmm. not going to – I can't turn that off. Um, it's like there's just these little things, right? I remember the year that Randy Moss joined the Patriots, and he didn't play in the preseason, and he was barely out there in camp, right? Mm-hmm. And and they asked Belichick – I don't remember exactly how it went down, but they asked Belichick something about Randy Moss, and it was something like, Oh, yeah, he's, he's going to be fine. We got, we got some plans for him. And he did this little, little corner smile he does sometimes <laughs> where he's like yeah. s- smiling but suppressing it. Yeah. And I remember when we were doing our fantasy prep for that year saying, like, man, something about what Belichick is – something about his face made me think he's got something in store. Right. Um, but the last time we saw Randy Moss, he quit on his team. Mm-hmm. And once you see a player quit – out on national TV and for everyone to see, it's really hard to tell people, go get that player on your team. Sure, right. <laughs> but there was that little inkling of like, ooh, maybe something's up. So when Randy Moss and West Welker were doing their thing the first couple weeks of the year, it was easy to say, oh, okay, that was actually meaningful. Mm-hmm. That was more meaningful than watching him quit as a member of the Oakland Raiders. There's this Antonio Brown stuff we just laid out. And it's being willing to say like, okay, I have considerations that make me th- – Want to feel positive, make me want to feel negative, and it's when we see that hard data that's whenever we roll with it. So it's, I think, people who say you can't, you're crazy to pass on Todd Gurley in a second, they might be right, Mm -hmm. and people who say you're crazy to take him might be right, and probably what we're setting up for guys is like, there's going to be a week that is the week to trade Todd Gurley, right? And if you, if you, and there's going to be like a way that you can have your cake and eat it, and he's going to help you get off to like a six and one start in your Mm -hmm. league, and then you trade him, and then. As things wear down, you aren't having him sink your lineup, and you cashed out. So that's probably the best prescription if you draft Cod Gurley, is know when to step away from the table and put your winnings in your pocket. Yeah.
0: Last guy that we wanted to talk with you about before we get you on out of here. This, I mean, yeah. it's gone a little bit longer, but it's been. Oh, it's I always because it's. It's, it's, a blast, it's what we do, right? right? It's what it winds up happening. Every we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't this. enjoy it.
2: We oh, didn't yeah. like this. Could be. I always joke like we would. Cecil and I would just do this for ourselves because we enjoy it. Like I did a show with Bob Harris yesterday, and because YouTube was acting up, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was going to actually ever see the light of day. Uh huh. But we enjoyed it.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, we, we just saw him a couple weekends yeah. ago. He he's was a at great the Midwest husband. Expo. I mean, just wonderful guy. Everybody <laughs> tells me that.
2: Yeah. Bob Bob really is like this. Bob has this aura of like an enlightened monk who's yeah. reached the mountaintop. Yep. And I mean, he really is like the spiritual. He would blush and he would say, nah. But he's like the spiritual leader of like he, it's the light that emanates from him. that's mm-hmm. reflecting off of all of us that keeps us in this space. Yep. And yeah, Bob's a tremendous human being anyway. Right. I'm going to so, see him next week in Albuquerque. We both, both have box turtles. Guy. He has box turtles. I've I'm, got okay. box turtles. So yeah. He calls them miniature dinosaurs. We have miniature dinosaurs. <laughs> they kind of are. They kind
0: yeah. of are. We have quite a few here. Okay. Inj- okay. So I digress. Uh, but the last guy that we wanted to talk to you about, yeah. um, Curtis Samuel. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Panthers wide receiver, it's been more or less – I mean, other than uh, – other than Matt Harmon, uh, you know, yes. like kind of, you know, banging that drumbeat throughout mm-hmm. all of, you know, all of the off season. Uh, we're talking about a guy that, I mean, he was playing running back when he was still in college yep. injuries. And then now he finds himself in a situation where he is the, I mean, de facto number two, if we really want to consider Tory Smith to be, uh, you know, fantasy relevant or even just uh, on the field relevant, like uh, within the Panthers. But he is now the guy that people are, Really turning to in the later rounds, considering the disparity between him and DJ Moore. I mean, mm-hmm. DJ Moore now going in the I've seen him in the third, fourth round, somewhere in there, and then Curtis Samuel is going in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, somewhere in there. But the talent disparity from between the two of them. I mean, while DJ Moore had a productive campaign in 2018, I mean Curtis Samuel came on towards the end of 2018 almost to the point where the two were i mean you could you really couldn't separate or say that which one was on the field i mean hands down better than the other
2: thank you Mm -hmm.
0: so with that being said i mean how are you looking into valuing i mean curtis samuel i mean how are you looking into i guess valuing i guess both wide receivers and saying that well because adp dictates you know yeah D.J. Moore should be the better player. But is that really true? I, I'm, I guess I'm not 100% convinced that that's the case.
2: No. no, I'm not convinced either. And he did a good job laying out the considerations here. So, look, I, before I even jump into D.J. Moore or Curtis Samuel, I feel like being like my colleague Matt Waldman and being a wet blanket here <laughs> and saying and saying that if Greg Olson stays healthy, then this offense is going to run through Greg Olson and mm-hmm. Kurt, Christian McCaffrey more than it's going to run through the wide receivers. Sure. And there will be peak weeks for the wide receivers, but it's it, they're not necessarily the mainstays. They're the the decorations. You know, They're the icing, not the cake in this offense. Now you could say, but Greg Olson, how long is he going to stay healthy? Come on. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then that opens up more paths to value here. So really, I think that both Samuel and Moore are being drafted optimistically, thinking of them as core performers in a pass offense where this offense is arranged a little differently. Although some of that could, we could be influenced by how Cam Newton's shoulder was compromised last year and he couldn't really throw downfield and he right. can throw downfield now. But who does that help? Mm-hmm. Does that help DJ Moore? Or does that help Curtis Samuel? Mm-hmm. That helps Curtis Samuel. Mm-hmm. So 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 it's absolutely Samuel over Moore. And this is one where I I I don't I used to go like bang sword and shield with Mike Clay like to no end back in like 2011 or 2012. It was fun because our, our philosophies and our approaches are different, but you know, we're both really um, open to like getting better and understanding better what's happening and, and being wrong. Um, but I don't sword and shield clash too much anymore, but I wanted to, when I would see someone say DJ Moore is obviously going to be better than Curtis Samuel. I People are all getting caught up in this Curtis Samuel hype, but DJ Moore did this at age 21, like this mm-hmm. stats, he was a first round pick, He has this dominator score. He has these measurables. He can't Mm -hmm. miss. The thing is, you can tell the exact same story about Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel wasn't even a wide receiver prospect, really, for most of his career at Mm -hmm. Ohio State. Look at Michael Thomas, and Paris Campbell's going to be another, even though the Brissett thing is a little bit of a bummer for his ceiling. Speaking of dynasty outlooks, um, where Ohio State doesn't ask these guys to do very much as receivers, mm-hmm. but something about them makes them able to immediately take to the much uh, more complex environment they have sure. as an NFL receiver. These guys are just popping. Even Devin Smith's maybe going to make a roster this yeah. year, guys. <laughs> you know? He might, um, yeah. So, So Curtis Samuel also – the draft capital for Curtis Samuel was – basically the same as the draft capital for T.J. Moore. The measurables for Curtis Samuel were outstanding. Mm -hmm. Um, His development as a receiver even before this offseason and and summer was saying he's going to be a success as a wide receiver. It's going to work. This Mm -hmm. experiment is going to work. And especially if you think of it as him being hurt for his rookie year and last year as his rookie year, as you pointed out, Chris, uh, they were basically the same fantasy entity Mm -hmm. for the last six weeks of the season or so. But what you have, and this is where I think we have to be humble, talk about being like water. Universally, even B writers from other teams during joint practices were saying, yeah. wow, Curtis yeah, Samuel. Yeah. Wow. I mean, DJ Moore's good, but wow, Curtis Samuel. And you've heard that, I think, about Miles Sanders is another mm-hmm. player that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, we were hearing it about some, like Miles Boykin is another guy, um, mm-hmm. Kiki oh, wow. Cutie before he got hurt. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. But, you know, so when you see people who are watching football and just as a part of their job reporting on it and saying, wow, about a player, then you know that that's something you need to pay attention to. So I do think that Curtis Samuel, and it's going to be interesting because week one you got the Rams, and what's cool about that is, I mean, as, as good as Talib, Tlaib, uh, as good as Marcus Peters are, they're also apt to give up the big play. Mm-hmm. So that's a Curtis Samuel week, in my opinion, um, you know, you have Tampa the next week. Oh, my God. Yes. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, Be i watching mean, that one. Yeah. You have Arizona the next week after that. You yep. used in the next week after that. So this is not going to be one of those situations where you get a redo. Right, and and this right. also – and, like, I'm not going to chase DJ Moore up the board. Mm-hmm. But for people who are just smitten with him, like their eyes or, like, hearts when right. they think about DJ Moore, then go for it. Fantasy football is about that. Right. Um, and we might be a month into the season, fellows saying they're both hits. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, Cam Newton's foot's okay, sounds like. So they're, against that schedule, everybody's going to look smart whoever you invested in. Um, but I, I absolutely think that when uh, every year we can usually point to a few players that every football writer that watches them says, wow. And that's been Curtis Samuel this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Sig, I'll be the middle of the road what blanket yeah. here because I'm kind of, uh, I don't want to say I'm indifferent. I mean, I'm a Marylander. So I saw DJ Moore and he came out and he was almost the perfect, Profile and I, I get the point that Samuel's was as well. But the the thing I want to mention here. So you hit the nail on the head with Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey, right? So of of us DLF guys, Peter Howard is the upper echelon. He's phenomenal, and he cited uh, many many a sources to say that it's very difficult to have two top twenty four. Wide receivers in the same season. Now, then JJ Zacharyson comes out with his late round podcast yesterday. I listened to it on my ride home and he cited that, well, it's his bold takes podcast. And he said, well, it's technically possible that Chris Godwin and Mike Evans could both be top 12 wide receivers. Mm -hmm. But I digress because the information more so backs that it's very, very difficult to get to top 24 wide receivers. So then who does this matter for? Well, since DJ Moore is drafted higher than Curtis Samuel you might as well just wash him out for that that specific reason. Because for the fact that we even have to talk about if Curtis Samuel is just as good as DJ Moore means that DJ Moore is not worth where he is being drafted. Even if he does end up being better than Curtis Samuel by a little bit, it's not going to be enough value to make that pick a good pick. Because Curtis Samuel's eating into the touches and... Greg Olson's eating in the touches. Chris McCaffrey's eating into the touches. There's just not enough to go around. Now, if Curtis Samuel is still falling in the ninth round, eighth round, in some of your drafts, okay, Curtis Samuel's worth it. Easy. You don't have to take a stand because you took the cheaper of the two and the only real chance that you're going to get value on a top 24 wide receiver. So – I think that it's easy for us. I don't. I don't think we need to really make the decision because uh, the the other drafters are making us for us. You can't yeah. take DJ Moore as early as he's being taken because it's going to be next to impossible to get value on him. You can take Curtis Samuel if he falls in the eighth or ninth because then it's almost guaranteed value. It's it's really nice nicely laid out that way.
2: Yeah, I think it is pretty. I mean, I would say it's a, a, it is very elementary. And there's a lot of these situations where, um, you know. Uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was a third one, What was Kiki Cutie and Bull Fuller, but now that's kind of blown up by Cutie's ankle injury, Mm -hmm. you know, where you just see that the ADP as it represents the hive mind collective intelligence, just, you know, that's, isn't that the whole exercise we're doing, right, is we're trying to figure out where's the collective intelligence off? on somebody mm-hmm. right. and in and and in this case I think it, it absolutely is this this Samuel Moore situation but um again you know this is I'm just excited for week 1 I'm excited for all this it, stuff. Oh, yeah. talking to yeah, you talking to you all this morning gets me excited cuz it makes me think about not so much what finding out was I right or was I wrong but finding out like like the the big reveal mm-hmm. of this NFL season And again, like we talked about being like water, being fluid um, and letting it take you instead of defining it in terms of your teams and your takes, define it in terms of what it's telling you it's going to be about.
0: Yeah, I think that's the that's the key point right there, because while like after week one, a lot of us will sit back and we'll, we'll have to review some of our, I guess, our initial takes on the season. Some will be wrong. Some will be right. But I think really the I guess in front of all of us is that next data point I mean it's that yeah. that data point that will lead us to okay well if I'm wrong about this player, what do I have to do in order to prepare for week two what do I have to do for my dynasty rosters in order to prepare for the next season or you know whatever the case may be yeah. and so while you know being wrong is OK. It's just understanding what the pivot to the next, you know, the next decision is going to be. And that's what the league is going to provide us every week for the next uh, 16, 17 weeks. Woo! And I mean, that's what and that's what we signed up for. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the wild ride that's in front of us. I mean, so, Sig, I mean, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, for sitting down with us this morning. Uh, I mean, we're really looking forward to the season, looking forward to I mean, more shows from you know FBG and Audible on the couch. I mean, all of that. Uh, But before we get you on out of here, uh, just a couple of parting shots from you. I mean, the the floor is yours, man.
2: Oh, just this is
0: fantastic,
2: man. I mean, it's just uh, the fantasy community is better and larger and more uh, uh, stimulating. Everything that's going on uh, with all the people who bring their life experience and intelligence. And more than anything, I hit this note a lot, but I think it's a good one to hit that – we enjoy each other we enjoy each other's company we enjoy each other's live minds and interacting with each other and that's really it's funny i said this one of the shows yesterday it's kind of a joke on the internet right like it's about the friends we make
0: along the way (laughs) um
2: but really like we find in each other um so many things we take beyond fantasy football and and it is the calendar of experiencing a season is so much fun right i mean there's a way it's almost like a because because we're not agricultural anymore like it used to be nice because you know like you would bust ass to plant in the spring and then you chill in the heat in the summer and then you mm-hmm. harvest you work hard and then in the winter you just like sit around the fire and play songs and make art and, you know cook or whatever and it was a nice rhythm right and that same rhythm of the football season kind of lines us up. I guess for guys, it's kind of like our menstrual cycle or something, right? (laughs) It's like the cycle of the NFL season, the cycle Mm -hmm. of a week, the cycle of our managing our teams. And by doing that, I think we, we don't feel as alone and something. I don't know if I've said this on a show, but I've said it a lot in conversations. I think that podcasts continue. You guys, you see how many big, industries want to get into podcasting now right right? yeah Mm -hmm. i mean like they want to they want to capitalize on podcasting and um i think that at the heart of it podcasts are popular because we're lonely and hearing another person's voice that's talking to you is like when your parents would read you a bedtime story Mm -hmm. and it makes you feel not alone and I could go off on a, like a Marxist rant here about alienation and our, our society and yeah. our, our our life goals, but mm-hmm. when we feel not alone, it gives us a sense of well being. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that Chris, I you know I got to see you and your wife down here in New Orleans, and Adam, I'm you know seeing, seeing your your face and your shining eyes, and, and you <laughs> know you know um, people say like thank you so much for coming on and things like that, but it's it's totally a two way street. And any time people feel like I'm giving something i'm getting back often a lot more than i'm giving and i think fantasy football scott fish comes to mind here you know mm-hmm. uh in the fishbowl um we are we're like in kind of a magic s- circle here where we're all giving each other something positive you know it's like um do the right thing do the right thing was one, was probably my first my first favorite movie was the blues brothers until i saw do the right thing mm-hmm. and there's that point uh when when um spike lee and giancarlo esposito meet in the in the street and they're like you the, no, you the man no you the man no you the man no you the man and that's kind of what's going on in our fantasy industry and may we continue to stay on that level
0: absolutely uh adam do we have anything for the folks before we get on out of here
1: oh i'm just so happy to have met with the mayor of narrative street <laughs> every time i listen to you sig you make me want to start a completely different podcast That as yes me too <laughs> but for, for news-type stuff, uh, we're getting into the season. We'll probably get to one to two episodes a month instead. You know, it's the in-season grind. Everybody's got a lot of other stuff going on rather than tweaking the bottom of your dynasty rosters. Uh, if you have any questions in the regular season, please send them over to DLF or myself or Chris. Um, any questions you have about your rosters, about trades, anything like that, we'll answer them in a short five-minute video and uh, get them on Twitter, and we'll try to get those out to you. So any questions you have, you'll see us over at DLF answering them
0: absolutely I almost forgot about that but yeah the wonderful folks at dynasty league football have us doing some quick vids for any questions you guys might have so send those over and then of course once we get into the season we kind of go into a hiatus we might be doing a show like maybe once a month like through uh throughout the regular season but once the season uh you know once the season concludes we'll be back at it we'll be back in years on a weekly basis so for for sig for adam I'm Chris. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX and we thank y'all for listening and we'll catch y'all next week.
1: Praying for the fantasy championship.
2: Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet
0: called the Dynasty Owners
2: Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic.
0: Owners Manual. It's automatic. The Dynasty. It's automatic.